Our confession this evening is the marks of the true church. The marks of the true church. We believe that we ought to discern diligently and very carefully by the word of God what is the true church. For all sects in the world today claim for themselves the name of the church. We are not speaking here of the company of hypocrites who are mixed among the good in the church and who nonetheless are not part of it, even though they are physically there. But we are speaking of distinguishing the body and the fellowship of the true church from all sects that call themselves the church. The true church can be recognized if it has the following marks. The true church engages in the pure preaching of the gospel. It makes use of the pure administration of the sacraments as Christ instituted them. It practices a church discipline for correcting faults. In short, it governs itself according to the pure word of God, rejecting all things contrary to it, and holding Jesus Christ as the only head by these marks one can be assured of recognizing the true church, and no one ought to be separated from it. As for those who can belong to the church, we can recognize them by the distinguishing marks of Christians, namely by faith and by the fleeing from sin and pursuing righteousness. Once they have received the one and only Savior, Jesus Christ, they love the true God and their neighbors without turning to the right or left. And they crucify the flesh, and it works. Though great weakness remains in them, they fight against it by the Spirit all the days of their lives, appealing constantly to the blood, suffering, death, and obedience of the Lord Jesus, in whom they have forgiveness of their sins through faith in Him. And then for the false church, and you will see that in my sermon, I actually compare the true church and the false church by two passages. The one, 2 Timothy 3, and the other one, Revelation 17. As for the false church, it assigns more authority to itself and its ordinances than to the Word of God. It does not want to subject itself to the yoke of Christ. It does not administer the sacraments as Christ commanded in his words. Word. It rather adds to them or subtracts from them as it pleases. It bases itself on men more than on Jesus Christ. It persecutes those who live holy lives according to the word of, of God and who rebuke it for its faults, greed, and idolatry. These two churches are easy to recognize, and thus to distinguish from each other. Our first reading is from 2 Timothy, chapter 3, the whole chapter. And it's entitled, Godlessness in the Last Days. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for peoples will be lovers of self, lovers of money, 
proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people, for among them are those who creep into households and capture weak, weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Yanus and Yambre opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me in Antioch, at Iconium and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And our second reading comes from Revelations, chapter 17, the whole chapter. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality. And with the wine of those sexual immorality, the dwellers on earth have become drunk. And, and he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names. And it had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet, and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. And on her forehead was written the name of Mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. When I saw her, I marvelled greatly, but the angel said to me, Why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast with the seven heads and ten horns that carries her. The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to rise from the bottomless pit. 
and go to destruction. And the dwellers on earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will marvel to see the beast, because it was and is not and is to come. This calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is seated. They are also seven kings, five of whom have fallen. One is and the other has not yet come. And when he does come, he must remain only a little while. As for the beast that was and is not, it is an eighth, but it belongs to the seven, and it goes to destruction. And the ten horns that you saw are ten kings who have not yet received royal power, but they are to receive authority as kings for one hour, together with the beast. These are of one mind, and they hand over their power and authority to the beast. They will make war on the lamb, and the lamb will conquer them. For he is the Lord of lords and king of kings, and those with him are called and, and chosen and faithful. And the angel said to me, The waters that you saw where the prostitute is seated are peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. And the ten horns that you saw, they and the beast will hate the prostitute. They will make her desolate and naked and devour her flesh and burn her up with fire. For God has put it into their heart to carry out this purpose by being of one mind and handing over their royal power to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman that you saw is the great city that has dominion over the kings of earth. Our text verses are from 2 Timothy 3, verse 14 and 15. But as for you, continue what you have learned, and I firmly believe, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. The topic this evening, are you in the true church? Are you in the true church? This is a controversial question, but a question that the Reformers addressed in Belgian Confession Article 29, and also a question that we constantly need to ask if we want to be a church that glorifies the Lord according to His Word and Spirit. But when we talk about the marks of the true church, we enter a minefield of controversy. To say that one church is true church, a true church, is also to say another church is a false church. Even when that church may be filled with sincere people. And so the Belgian Confession, Article 29 deals with the characteristics of both the true and the false church. And I will deal also with both, according to 2 Timothy 3 and Revelation 17. I've heard a statement in my life, and, that's all that, and that is that all churches are the same if you believe in Jesus. But nothing could be further from the truth. 
There are true churches and false churches. And the Bible teaches us this as well. There are churches that live according to God's word and churches that are not. There are churches that are politically correct and churches that are living to God's honor and according to his word. And we need to distinguish what a true church is. The marks of the true church, according to Belgian Confession, Article 29, the true church can be recognized if it has the following marks. The church engages in the peer preaching of the gospel. It makes use of the peer administration of the sacraments as Christ instituted them. And it practices church discipline for correcting faults. Faults. The false church, on the other hand, assigns more authority to itself. And immediately we think of the Roman Catholic Church with its bills and its laws, its ordinances than to the Word of God. It does not want to subject itself to the yoke of Christ. It does not administer the sacraments as Christ commanded in His, in his Word. It rather adds to them or subtracts from them as it pleases. It bases itself on men more than on Jesus Christ. And the next one is quite important. It persecutes those who live holy lives according to the word of God who rebuke it for its false greed and idolatry. And you can look to our newsletter as well, that letter that came from the International Conference of Reformed Churches, where the believers in India are persecuted. Churches are burned down. And then the confession concluded. These two churches are easy to recognize, thus to distinguish from each other. But can we, in our Western society, because it's easier when the church is persecuted, but in our Western society where everything looks the same, can we recognize the true church from the false church? The reformers were confident. They were also persecuted. And they knew that the false church was persecuting God's people. And they also understood the words of Revelation 17 verse 6, and I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. When you do the prayer, the original writer of the Belgian Confession died. His sentence was death by hanging. And he went joyfully to his ex execution telling fellow prisoners just before the event, my brothers, I'm condemned to death today for the doctrine of the Son of God, praise to be to him. I would never have thought that God would have given me such an honor. I feel the grace of God flowing in me more and more. It strengthens me from moment to moment, and my heart leaps within me for joy. At the foot of the scaffold, he wanted to pray. 
but he wasn't allowed to do. And as he waited to die, he encouraged the crowd to hold on to God's words. And when he was hung, the troops seemed to go crazy. For no apparent reason, they began shooting bystanders and each other. Looting broke out. And people took that as a judgment from the Lord. The reformers held on to God's words. But let us ask this question. What about our church, our denomination? Do we know how to distinguish the true church from the false church? As Christians who stress the necessity of believing certain things, then confessing those doctrines before an unbelieving world, this discussion of what constitutes a true church and what makes a church a false church is a discussion that we can't walk away in our times. Not if we, as we say we do, we love God above all and our neighbors ourselves. Then we must discuss and preach about this with great care, great love, but it must be addressed. Belgian Confession, Articles 27 and 8, we heard that to be in the church and join the church is about Jesus. Jesus is our head. And we need to bend under his yoke. We also heard that the church is in close unity with Jesus. Like a bride and a groom, Ephesians 5. That Jesus loves the church. That Jesus is building his church, Matthew 16, verse 18. And we are his co-workers, 1 Corinthians 3, verse 9. And so the word in our confession teaches us also that we need to join and be the true church. This is exactly what Paul was doing with Timothy. Equipping Timothy in the word of God. He started with the false church, how it will be in the last days, godlessness, and you see that qualifications there as well. Oh, Janice and Jambres opposed Moses. Now, the the people of God were opposed. But also, those who are creeping into households and capture weak women burdened with sins and lead astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. The truth which we know is our Lord Jesus Christ. But listen to Paul. Timothy did not only learn, he has also firmly believed, and this is because he knew the people, his parents, his grandparents, who had instructed the little child Timothy in his faith. And ultimately, he was led to our Lord Jesus Christ. And so the Apostle Paul continues in this instruction to Timothy about the Bible, and we read in our passage that all Scripture is breathed out by God, Profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training and righteousness, that a man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. 
All Scripture brief out, and we know this, that the Holy Spirit worked so on the Bible office that what they wrote was the authoritative and infallible Word of God. The Bible is inspired by God. And so Paul is saying here that God's breath is the source of the Bible. The Bible is not a collection of stories or human ideas about God. But the Bible itself was breathed out by God. And God used the office, but the words themselves originated within the mind of God. And God used the process of inspiration to communicate through human authors who wrote with their distinct personalities. This is true of preaching as well. The first mark of the true church. Preaching then should be according to God's word. So that the congregation here, so says the Lord God. And the congregation should be satisfied with nothing less. And for the working of the Holy Spirit, people preach the word of God. That's Peter in his letters. Second Peter 1. Scripture is complete and sufficient. And the prophets and apostles preach the whole way of salvation. And this is Jesus, Paul's word. First Corinthians 1. To preach about Jesus and the gospel. And so the Bible brings us to Jesus. Shows us that Jesus is the only way of salvation. That's the gospel. Preaching confesses Jesus. Show the congregation the gospel. That the way of salvation is only through Jesus. So that the congregation can grow in holiness. And be a testimony of that same gospel to the whole world. In the gospel we receive the word. But in our weaknesses and to strengthen our faith, God also gave the sacraments. And the sacraments is the second mark of the true church. Very important that they should be as Christ instituted them. There's only two. Holy baptism and the Holy Lord's Supper. And as we see from many places in Scripture, perhaps mostly strongly in Matthew 18, 1 Corinthians 11, these are the two sacraments that Christ has given to the church. We must also clearly understand what is meant as Christ has instituted them. They have words that are to accompany them. That's the Word of God. And they are also signs and seals of promises that the Lord has given to us. His holy covenant. And secondly, these sacraments <coughs> must be administered correctly. For example, baptism is for believers and their children. Acts 2. Lord's Supper does not change into the real body and the blood of Christ. Transubstantiation. But it's a visible sign and pledge that we, through the Holy Spirit's work, share in Jesus' true body and blood. Brings us by the third mark of the true church, and that's the practicing of church discipline. The church is a place where the gospel is proclaimed. 
The gospel is confirmed in the sacraments, but the gospel should also be protected by church discipline. And church discipline is described in Matthew 18, and we receive the model of approaching our brother and sister if they have sinned, and if they do not repent, taking two or three with him. If he still not repents, taking it before the whole church, and if he will not repent, treating him as a pagan. This is the biblical mandate. And therefore, church discipline is biblical. That's what Paul taught <coughs> in 2 Timothy as well. Reproof. And reproof's meaning is also to expose. And so the idea that the scriptures have a way of exposing our behavior. And discipline should be instructed according to God's word then. The scriptures are also useful for correction, Paul taught. Paul used the Greek word author. And that means to make something straight. Like an author, dentist, a dentist gives you braces. And to make it straight is to lead to the narrow path, the road of our Lord Jesus Christ, where Jesus taught in Matthew 7, verse 13 to 14, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few found it. And then the confession concludes, These are the marks by which we recognize the true church. But what then about a false church? I want you to turn to Revelation 17. It's about a great prostitute and the beast. And it's so important because this is the scriptural rule reference that Guido de Bray and the reformers gave when they were talking about the false church. In the French edition of the Belgian Confession, Article 29, the false church is described as the church that breaks God's covenant promises. Scriptural reference, Revelation 17, verse 3, where the great prostitute of Revelation 17 is described. Also, the Scots Confession, 1560, Article 18, where the immaculate spouse of Christ Jesus is known from that horrible harlot. And when we focus on Revelation 17, there's also always a reference to Revelation 12. That's the true church. And we should never read Revelation 17 with that reference to Revelation 12. Revelation 12, there are three main characters. A woman, a child, and a dragon. And a woman is an image of the church in this world, the true church. Child is an image of our Lord Jesus Christ who was crucified for our sin. And the dragon is an image of Satan and his whole plan and what he wants to do. It's so clear. Satan is the liar, the deceiver who wants to destroy. And ultimately he makes war against the church. But first he did against our Lord Jesus Christ. And he lost. He lost on the cross. 
Revelation 12 emphasizes Satan's war and plan from the beginning of time. He wants to destroy God's plan through Jesus and his church. And when Satan lost that war against the child, our Lord Jesus Christ, where Jesus conquered on the cross, Satan's focus is now on the church. Satan was thrown out of heaven. He lost against that child. And he was focusing now on the woman, the church, when he lost his war against Christ, he is now up to destroying the church. He's waging war against the church and he's furious. Peter described in 1 Peter 5 verse 8 that he is around and prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And a church that belongs to Jesus, bought with his blood, had to flee from the devil. She had no place in this world. Peter tells us that in his first letter. And she was not safe anywhere except in the desert. But God also provided, he gave her wings of a great eagle, and God nourished her. But then, there's great comparisons between the woman of Revelation 12 and the women of Revelation 17. That's the false church. The woman of Revelation 12 was clothed with the sun, with the moon on their feet, and on their head, a crown of 12 stars. But the woman of Revelation 17 was arrayed in purple and scarlet, adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the purities of her sexual immorality. The woman of Revelation 12 was forced to live in the desert, a place of isolation and loneliness. Means that we live in this world but are not from this world. But deceivingly, the woman of Revelation 17 was also in the wilderness. Verse 3. It was a shock when John realized who this woman was. Initially, he marveled at her. But then he realized that she's the false church, the religion of this world, that she seduces the people of this world where the gospel needs to be proclaimed. But now a big question, if the woman of Revelation 12 is the church, what is the woman of <coughs> Revelation 17? And John explained that she is seated on many waters. What does it mean? We find the answer in Revelation 17, verse 15, explained by the angel to John, the waters that you saw where the prostitute is seated are peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. This is the same world and the people where the Lord gave the command to preach the gospel and gave his great commission in Matthew 28, verse 19. This is where the woman receives her purpose and how she operates. The false church. It's deceiving people, pretending that she's the true church. And she also writes that a scarlet beast, the beast she was sitting on is a scarlet beast full of blasphemous names. It had seven heads and ten horns. That's the beast of Revelation 13. The beast from the sea, the Antichrist, the false Messiah. And the beast with the wound that was healed. Revelation 13, and the last beast will come from the sea, and the whole earth will marvel as they follow the beast. They will worship the dragon, this is Satan, as he had given his authority to the beast, and they worship the beast, saying, 
who is like the beast and who can fight against it. And the false church, this woman, is sitting on the beast that governed for 42 months and blasphemed God, his name, and his dwelling. And the beast was allowed to make war on the saints and conquer them. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and impurities of her sexual immorality. And on her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon, the great mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. This is the false church agenda. Everything is all right in this world. But the false church has a different agenda. She serves a different Lord. The false church serves Satan, the world, and persecute. she persecutes God's people. That's all the false religions of this world. Can we have peace with the false church? Our culture, modern culture, we don't want to offend. Some churches in our modern days are willingly participating in the sexual revolution of our modern age. You can choose what you want. And so we often hear the churches are the same if you just believe in Jesus. Belgian Confession Article 29 tells us that there are true churches and false churches. Churches that live according to God's word, churches that do not. Politically correct churches, churches that are living and churches that are living to God's honor and according to his word. But it also teaches that a false church is present. And she accommodates the influences of this world. And she's everywhere. She is seducing the people from God and the true church, and she sits on the seat of international politics, saying the same as the politicians do. And she regulates what polit po political leaders should say. She makes compromises with the world. Should we be concerned? No, we should hold on to the truth of God's word. Be faithful to the word, according to 2 Timothy 3. And we should remember Jesus' promises in Matthew 16, verse 18. I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall never prevail against this. And that's our comfort. The true and the false church is easy to distinguish from one another. True church preaches the cross, that Christ has paid for our sins. His resurrection preaches that the power of sin is broken, that we need to repent, come to the Lord, listen to the word of God, that Jesus died for us on the cross and he took our sins upon him, that death was working on people and the end was the grave. But then Jesus died, is risen on the third day, and we die in him and live in him in all eternity. We preach resurrection. We preach hope. We preach that you don't have to fear death. We preach that you don't have to fear tomorrow. We preach, 1 Corinthians 15, that you don't have to fear the grave. Also that you don't have to fear 
the women of Revelation 17 that persecute the false church, the true church. And we can know that because we know what belongs to God, He will protect. And the gates of hell will never prevail against this church. And the head of the true church, our Lord Jesus Christ has already conquered, Revelation 12. And He's holding the church in His hand, Revelation 2 verse 1. And He's also walking among the seven golden lampstands. This is His church, His universal church. This true church will continue until the last day. Not because of our faithfulness, but because of the Lord's grace. Amen. Let us pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love, your faithfulness, your grace, that you're holding your people in your hands. Also that you gave us this marks of the true church so that we can distinguish between the true and the false church. There's so many things that are happening in the world now. Persecution of your children. And we pray for these believers. We pray especially for those believers who are persecuted in India. So many churches are burned down. People are humiliated, displaced. We pray that you will comfort them, Lord. But also give them, them the courage and the strength to hold on. And that we will never stop praying for them, our brothers and sisters in India. And also all the persecuted churches all over. Also in Kenya, Nigeria, China. There's so many, Lord. And the wrath of Satan is flaming up against us. But you assured us that you will strengthen. And we pray for courage for them. And for us, Lord, especially in this Western society, that we will also be clear in this liberal political world where churches are persecuted, but in a more subtle way, people are thrown into jail and threatened with jail in certain states here in Australia. Lord, give us the courage to preach your word, to administer the sacraments as you instituted them, and to practice church discipline as a testimony to this world. In Jesus' name, amen.